Have you ever wondered what happened to the legendary Chuck Norris? I recently saw a health video he made and I was surprised. He's in his 80s and still seems to have his energy and health. He says he's even stronger, has more stamina, and plenty of energy left over for his grandkids since making one simple health change that helps his digestion and nutrition. He says he still feels like he's in his 50s. His wife made the same change and she's never felt better. She says she feels 10 years younger and she has energy all day. Many of us do not include the fruits, vegetables, and other herbs that increase health and energy in our own diets. Chuck Norris made a special video that explains how he incorporated these things with one simple product. You can watch it by going to mymorningkick.com forward slash Harris. It may change your approach to your own health. Once again, that's mymorningkick.com forward slash Harris. Hey everyone, welcome to the Conversations That Matter podcast. I'm your host, John Harris, for today's travel edition. I am heading to Kendallville, Indiana. I'll be there tonight to speak to an audience uh, there at a church. And then on uh, Sunday, or sorry, Saturday, I'll be in Syracuse, Indiana for the Jesus and Politics Conference. Looking forward to that. And I am in Ohio, pulled over uh, on the side of the road here. There's a barbecue place. You can kind of see it in the background there. And I just had some lunch, which is always good. I don't get really good barbecue in New York and, and the people are already friendlier. You just, when, when you leave New York, well, if you go south or west, going north, you, you don't run into friendlier people as much. But if you go south or west from New York, you immediately run into people that actually talk to you. <laughs> it's kind of an interesting experience. So anyway, I'm, I'm enjoying this. And uh, someone sent me, I, I saw in my messages as I was eating lunch, an article from the Gospel Coalition from today by Brett McCracken called Stop Throwing Pastors Under the Bus. And I thought, perfect. I wanted to do a short podcast anyway. And uh, so we'll just do this. We'll, we'll read the article, talk about it a little bit. And um, I, I read the first paragraph and didn't need to read anything else. I haven't read actually anything else. The first paragraph alone sold me. So Here's the first paragraph. It says, I've noticed an increasingly prevalent genre of online evangelical Christian commentary in which pastors are shamed because they're insufficiently vocal about this or that outrage or not militant enough in the culture war. Increasingly, it seems there's a lot of social media mileage in throwing pastors under the bus. Now, I've only had like not even 10 minutes to look at articles on the Gospel Coalition. So I have a few pulled up. I'm sure that many more could be pulled up. But uh, let me read for you some excerpts from other Gospel Coalition articles. Just really quick. This is from uh, January 21st, 2021. Thomas Kidd writing for the Gospel Coalition in an article called Evangelicals in a Post-Trump World. And it goes like this. Pastors and churches will have an opportunity to wean people off politics. All but the most hardened evangelical Republicans insiders will readily concede that American Christians tend to put too much hope in politics and politicians. Yet, we keep doing it. Pastors and teachers can avail themselves of this moment of greater marginality and perhaps a couple of relatively quiet years for evangelicals and politics to model the truth that whatever our political alignments, Jesus is the king in the church, no other partisan allegiances should com compete with his eternal kingdom. If Christ followers are at each other's throats over temporal partisan alignment, something has to be done. 
or sorry, something has gone wrong. Okay, so this is Thomas Kidd in the Gospel Coalition last year, which aside from, I mean, he's a historian. I would think he'd have a little better sense than to say evangelicals are going to have some quiet years here. But he, <laughs> with the Christian nationalism thing, I'm pretty sure it's the opposite of that right now. But anyway... What do we see in this? Pastors and churches have an opportunity. What's the opportunity? To wean people off politics because there's these hardened evangelical Republican insiders and pastors and teachers can avail themselves. Well, what does that sound like? I mean, wouldn't that fall under the criticism that Brent McCracken is making today in the Gospel Coalition? You have this from uh, 2020 by David, uh, I think it's Chloet. A false rivalry, a rivalry, gospel preaching and social justice. This is from TGC Africa. Friends, across Africa, we witnessed slavery, colonialism, and apartheid. These were advocated for and approved by many Christians because the church kept silent because of their skewed theology of justice and our mission in the world. We've also seen a departure from the gospel with the emergence of the social gospel because other Christians were not immersed and rooted in the foundational doctrines of the gospel. Well, if that doesn't say that pastors ought to take a certain position. And if they failed, then there's a certain level of scorn or correction, which again, I thought that was what Brett McCracken's critiquing. Uh, There's two other articles I found too, one by Thabiti and Abuile uh, called A Call to Evangelical Pastors. Let's do our part to end police brutality and mass incarceration. And one by Edward Copeland. Uh, He's the one that wrote that Why I Hate August article about Kyle Rittenhouse. Anyway, he wrote another article called Why All Christians Must Keep Was Seek, Seek Sorry, Public Justice. Some of us reject the concept, he says, of systemic or structural evil altogether, leaving us no category with which to describe what the Bible clearly portrays as beyond the realm of individual responsibility. This lack of robust, robust biblical framework to address systemic evil fosters a type of psychosclerosis that hampers dialogue. Okay, so... Anyway, I just thought I would read you a few of those. And again, this is like 10 minutes, if that, of searching around. I would bet if I looked for stuff on the conspiracy theories and vaccines and masks and lockdowns and things like that, I would probably find more articles from the Gospel Coalition in which... I Actually, I think I've talked about them on this podcast. That's the thing. Where pastors are being told, essentially... They need to take a stand here. They need to stop the misinformation. They need to carry Fauci's water and do something. So the Gospel Coalition, in my mind, it, I know it's lost a lot of credibility. It's it's kind of low-hanging fruit at this point. I, I realize that. In fact, the person who sent it to me said, I know this is low-hanging fruit. And I thought, I'm kind of glad, to be honest with you, that the Gospel Coalition is viewed that way by so many people. Because I remember when it wasn't, not too long ago. And uh, just, you know, people don't take it as seriously. But... Anyway, this is um, a further an illustration of the hypocrisy here from Brett McCracken that he's noticed this increasingly prevalent genre of online evangelical Christian commentary in which pastors are shamed because they're insufficiently vocal about this or that outrage. And I'm just thinking, wasn't Gospel Coalition one of the main outlets that started doing that kind of thing? I'm just saying. The formula is familiar, Brent McCracken says. A highly online Christian takes on to social media to put generic pastors on blast by unfavorably comparing them to secular thought leaders or politicians who are supposedly 
more courageous truth tellers. I wonder if I'm a I'm I'm one of these highly online Christian uh, Christian people who takes the social media. Anyway, he says, but is this a good faith critique and is it helpful? Pummeling your pastor. Few call out their own pastors online, but many employ the imprecise word pastors to advance a narrative of negligent clergy sitting out the culture war. Well, hold on a minute. Hold on. Brent McCracken just said in the last paragraph, what did he say? Did he name someone specifically? Let's see. Was he brave enough? to? No, no. He said highly online Christian. As a gene- so a generic Christian, so Christians who are online is the broad category he used to criticize. He's criticizing that category. And then he's criticizing this broad category for using a broad category because they're going after pastors and not specific pastors. Often the social media post focuses on a... T- Hold on. Another thing too here. I just got to say this. Brent McCracken, how do you know this? How do you know what these highly online people are? You, you must, if you, to see the trend, you got to be online. I'm just saying. So are, are you a highly online Christian too? I, I'm wondering. Uh, all right. Often the social media post focuses on a timely front in the culture war and it turns it into an indictment on beta pastors. I think, I think someone's very sensitive. Who are allegedly naive about the issue's gravity. Wake up, pastor, while you're trying to winsomely engage the culture. And the culture is indoctrinating your congregation with CRT, LGBT plus agendas, woke ideology, and so on. Quit sitting on the sidelines. Left-leaning Christians also join the pastor as a punching bag, social media chorus. Their posts similarly indict pastors as a vague class, taking them to task for enabling various evils. Pastors have blood on their hands, their cowardice in staying silent on racism, Christian nationalism, abuse, AR-15 mass shootings, climate change, and so on, means they have zero moral authority on any issue. Now, that's an over, that's a, uh, that's an exaggeration, I suppose, but this is the kind of thing Gospel Coalition has engaged in, at the very least, uh, on, on a level that what isn't quite that exaggerated, but they've, they've certainly done this kind of thing, mostly from the left. Pastors aren't above criticism. There are some pastors who refrain from speaking up about vital issues, fear of losing favor with one's group or another. There are pressing issues some pastors should speak about more often, yet it is impossible to lump all pastors together. And it is unhelpful to make blanket accusations in cyberspace. So he's, he's going on and on here. And I'll just say this. As someone who writes, I've been writing this week, you, you are met with difficulties no matter what you're writing about when you are covering a trend you have to you have to be very careful and precise in your language because you don't want to give the impression that every single person in let's say I just did it at the beginning of this podcast didn't I, I said people get friendlier outside of New York is that does that mean every person in New York is unfriendly and every person outside of New York is unfriendly no of course and no one takes it that way but it's <laughs> It's an understanding that we have. It's a social convention we have with with each other when we make those kinds of statements. And depending on the context of the statement, uh, we we know what the person means. And whether they're talking about every New Yorker or I'm making a general statement, right? And so Brett McCracken in this article makes general a general categorization, a general statement about online Christians. Yet his whole... <laughs> criticism here 
is that you, you have to be specific, apparently. You can't make general statements, which Gospel Coalition does all the time. All right. Much pastor bashing on social media doesn't jibe with the realities on the ground from what I've seen. Most pastors are aware and concerned about the pressing social and cultural issues of our day. Most of them are seeking resources to be equipped to address timely topics from the pulpit. Uh, highly online Christians expect pastors to be highly online too. If they don't see a pastor retweeting... See, I don't even think this is quite true. If, if, the pa- if pastors talk about current issues, making application from scripture to them in a sermon or at church or at Bible study, that would satisfy. Look, if I'm one of these highly online Christians, I don't have to see it, but you know, online, but if a pastor is highly online and they're not like, there's a hole in their, in their hot takes, they're not focusing on something that is pressing that are, there's legitimate questions coming from their congregation, most likely about then I may say something. I may say like, hey, this is a popular Christian leader here, pastor who he's he's highly online, but he's not saying, he's not talking about this issue or he's pushing the wrong perspective on this issue in his sermons and in, in his online activity, or he's just silent on it yet. Uh, and we saw this actually, let me give you an example, a uh, church down the road from me that was highly uh, involved in the social justice move in 2020 and uh, lockdown, masks, all that. But at the same time, when Roe v. Wade was overturned, nothing. In fact, I even think they made a statement about Ukraine. Nothing, though. When it, so that kind of thing, we notice that, but it's because the church is highly online about other things, and, and it's obvious when they're on eggshells about certain topics. So Anyway, this is actually a long article. Let me skip ahead a bit and try to get to the meat of this. We've come to an absurd absurd place where online performance of passion is more important than passion that leads to action in the real world. This is just shadow boxing. This is not... It's hard to take this seriously when it's coming from the Gospel Coalition because it's like... You could say that about their articles. Like, you know, all your articles are just online performance. What about what you do in the real world? Don't make lazy assumptions from afar. There are far... Um, more ways to care about an issue than just tweeting about it. This is an article that Brent McCracken tweeted out, yes. (laughs) When tempted to call out our pastors for not sufficiently speaking out about some controversial topic, we'd also do well to reflect on our motives. Our, our Our calls for a pastor to denounce that particular sin in the culture matched by our invitation for him to call us out of our own sin. This... Okay, so I'm hoping Brent McCracken went to his pastor before he wrote this article and is like, look, you need to call out my own. I'm about to blast all these online people, this this nameless, faceless group, but I'm going to call them highly online Christians. And man, can you just call out my sin first? Uh, this is a tactic. I've seen this, by the way, in real life. Like when you start to notice something's amiss, like you notice there's corruption or there's uh, some kind of immoral behavior, some bad theology, and you say something and the immediate pushback often is, well, how's your relationship with the Lord? Do you pray enough? Do you evangelize? But yet you're doing this. You could have used that time and shared the gospel. It almost sounds like Judas when he's like, you should have used that money and given it to the poor. What are you doing over here? It's like, well, I mean, I don't know. Having some discernment is also part of being a Christian and 
warning others. It's kind of a loving your neighbor thing. I, I don't know why that's the, the two are mutually exclusive, but they're made to fight each other as if uh, this is the tactic. You saw it done at the Southern Baptist Convention uh, the time before last in 2021 when, who was it? It was one of the members of the resolutions committee. And uh, I think it was James Merritt said to the whole congregation in the room that he rejected a proposal to denounce critical race theory and said, if people were as bold about, or put in as much effort to uh, evangelize the world as they do against critical race theory, the whole world would be saved by now. It was something along those lines. That's the same tactic being used here. It's a shaming tactic and we shouldn't fall for it. All right. Uh, real courage for pastors isn't their willingness to say whatever the loudest voices on Twitter demand. It's rather their willingness to unapologetically tell Christians what Jesus commands. Okay. Well, I mean, Jesus does have moral commands. And if there's an unwillingness or just a lack of sense of proportion when it comes to, let's say, uh, speaking against transgender library hour when it comes to town, but yet there's was all kinds of uh, denouncements of conspiracy theories and uh, Christians who failed to get vaccined or something, then it, that, that, that becomes the issue. It's, it's not about, I don't think for anyone, like including myself, who's made critiques online, I don't think any of us are saying like, you gotta be, you gotta do whatever the loudest voices on Twitter demand you say. Like, obviously not. It's, it, it's always been about Jesus has ethical standards too. And why don't you uphold those? So it is about Jesus command. So Brett McCracken is making an assumption here. Like it's not about that. It's, it's about, there's another, again, a false dichotomy here. It's either about what the loudest voices on Twitter think, or it's about Jesus. You can't have them. You can't have someone who's supporting Jesus's claims online as an option. So anyway, there, there's so much, this, this whole thing, you could read every paragraph and probably pick it apart, but I don't have time for it right now. Let's go to the last one. Don't throw your pastor under the bus. Get on the bus with them. Help them repair the flat tires and avoid potholes. If you get lost, pull out the map and help them get the bus back on track. Don't jump off. The ride gets bumpy. Okay, so if, if that's the case, what do you say to the congregations? And I, this is a story that I've heard so many times, it's like a template at this point, that they have approached their pastor They've said, Pastor, I'm concerned about this. And then they get shunned. Then they lose their ministry. Then they're blacklisted in the church or in the ministry, if it's a ministry. And they, they were trying to jump on the bus with their pastor. They were trying to come alongside of him and help him and be humble. And yet this is what they're met with. See, this is, sometimes I wonder when I read articles like this, I wonder are we living in two different worlds? Is, is Brent McCracken in a completely different world than the world that I live in and the world I think most of you live in? What world is he in? And, you know, maybe, maybe I don't know. I don't know. I, wanna, I don't want to assume anything about him other than what he's written here. But uh, the, the social justice fight that people insisted three years ago, I remember, I remember this well, uh, that people insisted wasn't actually happening is totally happening. It is in some ways it's ha- has happened. And, you know, we, we just have to, we have to keep, uh, speaking the truth and encouraging the weak, helping, uh, helping the, the weak, encouraging the faint hearted, 
but also admonishing the unruly. And if it's a pastor who is failing, that means that the damage is, is much bigger, right? So anyway, it, it's important, I think, that we try to, it's actually a loving thing to do, to try to hold people accountable um, when you speak the truth in love. And using your online platform to propagate the truth is actually an excellent thing to do. And, it, and if you're saying, I've noticed a trend here, pastors aren't, they're not getting behind this, then there's nothing innately wrong with this, saying that. Jesus did this all the time too with the Pharisees, right? He would generalize them and say, this is what you do. And, and oh my goodness, what about Nicodemus? He wasn't, yeah, okay, obviously there's an exception. Jesus could make a general statement and so can we. So if we're gonna be like Jesus, then I don't see any problem with that. So anyway, uh, I got to get to Indiana now. <laughs> God bless. I hope that was somewhat helpful for, for some of you and uh, more coming. Bye now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.